0: How can we as healthcare practitioners move from just providing disease management to providing true healthcare? That is the question, and this is the answer. Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast that helps you grow your practice and expand your skills as a practitioner. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for wellness-minded people and professionals who are passionate about transforming our broken healthcare system, which is actually more of a disease management system. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo, and I believe that all diseases can be prevented or reversed, and I'm dedicated to empowering millions of people to go from disease and dysfunction into living their healthiest life possible. So today's topic is going to be on APOE, apolipoprotein E. And I'm sure you've heard a lot about it. You've heard about it in relationship to increased risk of cardiovascular disease and Alzheimer's. So we're going to talk about how do you apply this and create customized programs for people that address lifestyle factors and diet for people who have elevated risk because of their genetics or family history. So what exactly is ApoE? Well, it's a protein involved in the metabolism of fats in the bodies of humans and also other mammals. It plays a central role in lipid metabolism, neurobiology, and in the development of neurodegenerative diseases. And we see that as a rising cause of concern in our society today. And if you ask people, most people are more scared of getting something like Alzheimer's versus cancer. So let's talk about that and how we can help people in their lifestyles, in their diets to prevent and even reverse some of these changes. So the function of ApoE is to transport lipids among cells of different organs and within specific tissues. Lipoprotein, by the way, just to go back a little bit, a lipoprotein, a lipid combined with a protein, and they're carriers. They help to carry other lipids, other lipoproteins around in the body. A major function is to mediate the binding of the lipoproteins in the body or other lipid complexes in the plasma to put onto the cell surface, specific cell surface receptors. APOE was discovered in the early 1970s. So it's you know fairly new on the scene. It's not in its infancy stages by any means, but it's not something that we've known about for centuries. It's one of the several lipoproteins that are involved with very low-density lipoproteins. We know that LDLs, low-density lipoproteins, are tested on a routine lipid panel in blood testing. VLDLs, not so much. They're more advanced testing that's done in an advanced lipid panel, which, in my opinion, should be done on everybody, at least everybody with a family history of heart disease and Alzheimer's, everybody with a genetic tendency, and we'll talk about what some of those genetics are, and anybody who is over 50, really, because of the incidence, the increased incidence, and maybe even over 40, should be getting this more advanced testing. It shouldn't be relegated to people who already have heart disease or are starting to go downhill. This is one of several. It's involved with VLDLs, very low density lipoproteins, also intermediate density lipoproteins, ILDLs, and chylomicron remnants in certain subclasses of high-density HDLs. It plays a role in regulating the clearance of these lipoproteins from the plasma by serving as a ligand for binding to specific cell surface antigens and receptors, including the LDL receptors. APOE participates in the distribution and the redistribution of lipids among various tissues and cells in the body. It's an important compound, and when it's in balance, It does good functioning, and when it's out of balance, it doesn't. Intracellular. APOE that's inside the cells can modulate various cellular processes physiologically and pathophysiologically out of balance, including cytoskeleton assembly and stability, the structure of the cell walls, and also mitochondrial integrity and function in dendritic morphology and function, dendrites being the tail ends of the nerves. It's likely that APOE, with multiple cellular origins and multiple structural and biophysical properties is involved in such a big variety of processes in lipid metabolism and neurobiology, which is why it's been implicated as a risk factor for cardiovascular disease and Alzheimer's. It's involved in a variety of disorders of neuronal repair and remodeling and degeneration by interacting with different factors through various pathways. So it's a complex molecule, complex protein, that's involved in lipid metabolism, and it's involved in the pathologies associated with lipid metabolism, including cardiovascular disease, so stroke, heart attack, clots, aortic aneurysms, other aneurysms, and also related to neuron function, which is why there's such a connection between ApoE and Alzheimer's disease. So let's talk about the forms that ApoE can take. You've probably heard of these. ApoE can be a 2, 3, or a 4, and it has different effects on the lipids and on the neurons depending on whether it's a 2, 3, or 4. And you know, we inherit these from our parents, right? So each parent contributes one ApoE allele. And so if we have multiple. Fours or multiple twos or multiple threes, or we have a mixture is going to depend on the genetics and the inheritance. And we'll talk more about the implications of that in a moment. The subtype implicated in Alzheimer's disease and cardiovascular disease that's most likely to put a high risk on is ApoE4. And about 15 to 25 percent of people have this. And two to 5% carry two copies. So even though the 4 4 allele, the 4 4 ApoE 4 4 is the highest risk, it's going to be the one that you're not going to see as much, only 2 to 5%. But 15 to 25% of people with 1 4 is pretty high and they're going to be at risk, although not as high a risk as those with 4 4. So the most common variant is. ApoE3, and it has been found in most of the research today to neither increase nor decrease the risk for Alzheimer's and cardiovascular disease. So it's not protective, but it's not increasing the risk. ApoE2 is found to be protective. The most common is ApoE33.33 is the most common presentation in genetics. ApoE4 also has a role in disturbing lipid homeostasis in the macrophages and smooth muscle cells. So what that does is increases the risk for systemic inflammation, which of course increases the risk for cardiovascular disease and Alzheimer's, and can promote the formation of atherosclerotic plaques. So ApoE4 can also contribute to the activation of endothelial cells that disturb blood-brain barrier. And we know how important the blood-brain barrier is, right? The blood-brain barrier keeps larger molecules, chemicals, toxins from entering the brain to protect the brain. And when we have a disruption in blood-brain barrier, anything can get into the brain, toxins included. And we know that toxins are implicated in Alzheimer's disease. If you've ever read the book, The End of Alzheimer's, I think it's called, by Dale Bredesen, he talks about 36 factors that have been found to contribute to the production of the plaques in the brain that lead to Alzheimer's, and toxins are a huge part of it. So we need an intact blood-brain barrier in order to do this, so people with an ApoE4 are more likely to have a breach in that blood-brain barrier and more likely to have the toxins entering the brain and increased risk for Alzheimer's. Everything is coded by a gene, right? This is no exception. So the ApoE gene will code for these ApoE proteins, and that will determine, the genetics determine the distribution of ApoE two, three, or four, and what what it looks like. So as I said before, APOE2 is protective. APOE3 doesn't really have a significant role uh, in protection or risk. Uh, To date, there may be some research in the future that disturbs that theory. And then APOE4 carries elevated risk for disease. So here's the deal. Since everybody inherits one APOE allele from each parent, each biological parent, obviously, each person can have one of Six possible combinations. They can be a 2, two, a two, three, a two, four, a 3, three, a 3, four, or a 4, four. Okay? So each of these is going to contribute to the amount of risk that the person has. And keep in mind that whenever there's a four, whether it's a two, four to three, four or four, four, there's going to be a risk. Obviously, since two is protective, a 2, four, is going to be at lower risk than a 4-4. And a 3-4, since the 3 doesn't really infer protection, we just have less of the 4. So the most problematic, the most high risk is associated with 4-4, and second to that is 3-4. Let's just say that if we have two copies of ApoE4, it's associated with a much higher risk of Alzheimer's than having only one copy. And when we inherit the ApoE4, It increases the risk for Alzheimer's, but here's the deal. Some people with even a 4-4 never develop the disease. So what else is going on? Well, there are other genetic variants that protect against Alzheimer's, so those could be at play. There could be a 2, right? The 2-4, that's going to be protective and that's going to be at play. So we can't assume, like anything else related to genetics, that just because a person has the gene... They're going to develop Alzheimer's. So I had a patient once who got her genes tested and saw that she was a 4-4, and she started to freak out because both her mother and her father had Alzheimer's. So that like reinforced the fact that it's genetic and that they had it expressing. But I had to assure her that there are things you can do, especially now you're, you know, in your 40s, that you can do to protect yourself from getting it. So like everything else, the genetics is there, but it's the epigenetics that make the expression. And that, my friends, is controlled by lifestyle. And that's where we come in and giving people the right tools, the right dietary recommendations to protect them. When APOE4 carriers eat foods like fatty beef, eggs, cheese, things that are high in saturated fat, their bodies make more cholesterol and ApoB tends to rise. ApoB is a problematic and a risk factor for developing heart disease. Not to say that everybody with high cholesterol develops heart disease and not to say that everybody with low cholesterol does not. I think cholesterol is just one part of a complex equation that we need to look at when we're looking to identify cardiovascular risk. Same thing with the ApoE. People who don't have the ApoE, but are type 2 diabetics or are sugar junkies, they're going to be at higher risk for developing Alzheimer's. People who work in factories, who work in mines where they're exposed to a lot of toxins or people like a lot of the standard American diet followers are people who just use all kinds of chemicals, right? It's said that before a woman leaves the house, if she's going out to work or before her day begins, if she is using the standard approach to skincare and makeup and all that, as the average person, that they're exposed to over 150 chemicals before they even start their day. That's contributing to the risk of atherosclerotic plaque and also the risk of Alzheimer's, plus cancer and uh, autoimmune and all these other things. So it's really important for us to be coaching people on their diet and their lifestyle and their exposures to chemicals. You know, there's a lot of paleo keto diets out there that are very high in animal fats. There's the carnivore diet. People with ApoE4 are not well suited to those diets at all because it's going to increase their risk of developing plaques and Alzheimer's from those foods. So we have to be careful in cautioning people. People ask about saturated fats from, say, palm or coconut. These folks are not suited to very high levels of those. They can certainly eat whole fresh coconut, um, whole coconut products. But those oils, I recommend people stay away from if they have even a 3-4 or a 4-4. So those are things we have to look at and you can experiment with with people, right? You put them on a specific diet, you check their blood levels, you look at their LDLs, you look at their particles and you figure out, wow, this person cut back on you know, some of these plant-based saturated fats and that made a difference. Or they cut back on all the animal-based and it didn't make as much of a difference until they also cut back on the plant-based. This is where our logic and our critical thinking skills as practitioners come in. We look at their diets, we look at their genes, we look at their family history and at people at risk, we really have to caution them that they need to be more careful than the average person. My APOE is 2-3. I eat coconut. My cholesterol doesn't go up. It's like 160, right? Other people who have a 3-4 eat coconut and it goes up. So we have to just really individualize our programs and use these factors and use our knowledge of their APOE status to develop the right diet lifestyle plans for them. There's no one size fits all. There's this big popularity these days on this carnivore diet. It's only been played with for a few years, and I don't know that we see yet the long-term implications, and particularly for people with an ApoE4 variant. Okay, so this is important for us to understand. So Putting them on paleo and putting them on bulletproof coffee with high levels of, of animal products It's not the best thing for somebody with a 4. These are the people who do best on a plant-based diet, primarily plants, probably can get away with a little bit, but you have to check. If I had a 4-4, four, four, I wouldn't do any of it. Well, I don't do any of it anyway. I'm really careful because I have family history of cardiovascular disease. APOE is also Connected to other problems, so there's uh, nephrotic syndrome in people with ApoE4, uh, nephropathy in type 2 diabetes. If somebody has an Apo2, they're at higher risk of nephropathy if they have type 2 diabetes. Increased risk of psoriasis with ApoE4. So we don't think about these things, but it's an inflammatory disorder, it's an autoimmune disorder. So these are things that we should be looking at. What is their APOE4 status? I'm a big fan of doing genetic testing. It's very inexpensive to do. And then looking at where their risk factors are, because when you look at what their risk factors are, you look at their family history, you look at their own personal history, And you see risk factors and then you say, you know what, this is your risk and this is how you diminish your risk with these diet and lifestyle factors, they're much more likely to listen and do the things you're recommended. And there's also an increased risk of type 2 diabetes, especially in Asian populations who have the 2 or the 4. So there's a lot to consider here and we have to pull it all together Looking at their labs, looking at and doing an advanced lipid panel, looking at this, keeping their blood sugar under control, doing a comprehensive, complete blood sugar panel and anybody with the ApoE4, absolutely necessary and imperative, right? So what we need to do is look at the full picture, right? When we're looking at helping people, we want to know how are they genetically programmed, What are their risk factors in terms of their diet, their lifestyle, their chemical exposures? What's their family history? And then what can we propose to them in terms of decreasing their risk? I don't know about you, but... I want to teach everybody that I talk to how to decrease their risk because we don't have that Star Trek device that you hold up and it shows you all their biochemical pathways and you go, okay, I guess you're okay with your butter and bacon diet right now. Let's check you again in a year. We don't have that ability. We don't have the ability to see those clots, although there is some new technology coming out that will help us with that. I still don't think it's a good idea to tell people to to do unhealthy and dangerous things, even if they don't yet have a problem. In conclusion, in summary, APOE is critical to look at, to consider when you're working with somebody and trying to optimize their brain health and their heart health. Guess what? Those are the two most important organs in the body, right? If we don't have a good brain, we don't have a good heart, we can't survive. And we want to help people and protect them from sudden death from heart attack, long-term death from heart attack, you know, where they're struggling for a long time and, and then they they kick off or they have surgery and then they die. Like my grandmother, type 2 diabetic, diagnosed when she was 56, had her first heart attack at 56, Had a couple of others, and then she went in for quadruple bypass surgery when she was 72. She made it through the surgery, and then a few days later, developed a blood clot, went to her lungs, and she died. 72, not old enough, right? She hadn't lived her life fully. But had we identified these genetic factors, I look at that and go, genetics, diabetes, heart disease, look at my family members diabetes, heart disease, cancer, and I'm going to not take any chances even if I didn't have my genetics to go on. So convince people that it's a good idea to look at genes because there's stuff you can do about it. A lot of people don't want to look at the genes because they think, oh, I'm just going to feel helpless. I'm just going to worry about getting Alzheimer's. No, it's empowering because there are things that they can do. So research is important. It's continuing to happen. It's important to look at the people's lipoprotein status and get help them to get on the best program for them. So this is just one aspect of health. There's a lot of them, and you as a practitioner need to understand how this body works so that you can help people to design the optimal diet and lifestyle program that's going to keep their risk levels down. So for more in-depth training and resources for health practitioners, I suggest you visit us at www.imemethod.com and come to our free webinars, come to our three-day events and learn about this and study this and be the best person you can. We have the power to not only change the risk for individual people, but there's the ripple effect and them talking to others, them even feeding back to their primary care physicians if you're not that, and getting a wider spread ripple effect of the importance of making changes, choices that we make in creating health. So until next time, shine on. Thanks for listening to Reinvent Healthcare. We are part of the movement to change healthcare for the better. If you liked this episode, leave a rating and a review. And for more resources to support you in growing a thriving and fulfilling practice, visit our website at inemethod.com.